when we uh, look around, it's pretty impressive. The buildings, the administrative systems that are here at IMS, just the efficiency and beauty of how the kitchen operates and produces such good food for us. And if you've ever looked at uh, the Buddhist section of bookstores lately, not that there are many left, but there are so many books, so many teachings, so many teachers. And it begs the question, what's this big deal about mindful awareness. I mean, it's really amazing that this place, all of you doing all the work you had to do to set aside the time, get yourselves here. And now for so many years, since 1975, just this place has been in existence, developing, to see so much energy so much devotion. And when it really comes down to it, it's just about this valuing of mindful awareness, this stable, continuous, present moment awareness. It is, it is a little interesting that something seemingly simple, like awareness, and, you know, we don't think of mindful awareness being present as some overwhelming force. But as we know, all of us know by now, I'm sure that the Buddha really highlighted it, really built this path of awakening the sure heart's release around the developing of awareness, the strengthening, stabilizing of awareness, developing a continuity of mindful awareness as the key ingredient in the heart's release. I think a lot sometimes about places like the Grand Canyon that have been carved very slowly, very gradually by water and wind, but mostly water over the years, carving out little by little. And then after however many, probably millions of years you get, if you haven't been there, it's a pretty impressive canyon over a mile deep. And uh, there's this passage from the Tao Te Ching, the Taoist text, the weakest thing in the world can overmatch the strongest thing, the strongest things in the world. Nothing in the world can be compared to water for its weak and yielding nature. Yet in overcoming the hard and the strong, nothing proves better than it for there is no alternative to it. The weak can overcome the strong and the yielding can overcome the hard. This all the world knows, but does not practice.
except here <laughs> at IMS, right? We have all of us to have gotten ourselves on this retreat, we have at least some intuition that there is some transforming power in the cultivation of this continuous mindful presence, mindful awareness. Right at the beginning of the discourse on mindfulness, the Four Foundations, it's very well-known talk the Buddha gave or collection of talks. As some scholars now think, the Buddha says, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the attainment of the right method, and for the realization of unbinding. In other words, the four foundations of mindfulness. The mindfulness of the mind and body, the activities of the mind and body, or as Kamala mentioned this morning, the six sense spaces, the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, the senses of the body, and then the mind sense space, the activity of the mind. And it goes on, there is the case where a practitioner remains aware of an activity of the body and mind in and of itself. So not in terms of our thoughts about it. Ardent, alert, and mindful, putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. And part of what motivates us to come on a retreat and to stick with it and to start over, you know, as many times today as the mind fell into its grooves, its habits to worry, to plan, to doubt, like, why am I here? We start over and that strength, that faith to start over, where does that come from? I mean, maybe to some degree it comes from our own previous experiences in the practice, really having tastes of calm and tastes of freedom, the dropping away of the heart's burden, or what the retreat we called the sure heart's release. So having some sense of that, some intuitive sense, some glimpse of the heart unburdened. But part of what keeps us coming back to the practice is we get a sense of, uh, you know, it sounds provocative to say it this way, but we get a sense of the real danger of just letting the mind do what it always has done and getting what it has always gotten. This is one of those statements that you see around a lot. I actually looked to see who wrote it or said it first, but all I got were all these sort of corporate coaches <laughs> using that. If you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always gotten. But there's some real wisdom about, in Buddhism, we have that term samsara, these cycles of stress, these cycles of suffering, how in addressing the very real stress and burdensomeness of our heart, the heaviness of our heart, and addressing it, we do exactly what reinforces or sets emotion more of the same. 
and on and on and on. And it hopefully, eventually, breaks our heart open. Instead of complaining, instead of shutting down, we actually get interested because we care about our life and care about others. And this burden we tend to carry around with us, we are actually willing to search. And when we find something that makes sense, we're even willing to sign up for a retreat at IMS to practice mindful awareness, which seems, you know, I'm sure you've noticed talking to some friends. I mean, we don't, we usually have some way to make it seem reasonable, like I'm just going to calm down for a few days. But when we actually tell people that we're developing a greater momentum, a greater continuity of mindful awareness, often the the response is something like, aren't you already aware? (laughs) It's like, uh, because the presumption for just ordinary folks, all of us, when, you know, before we started or before we realized how much of the time we're not mindful, the basic assumption is that we are mindful that we are aware. But all of you got to this meditation hall this evening for the program, for the talk, and to some degree, to a large degree, you were conscious in order to make the right turns and you know, not trip over the stairs or whatever. But were we mindfully aware as we were walking or was there an awareness of the thoughts that arose, the judgments that arose in the mind? Awareness of the cold air as we stepped outside or whatever that experience was. I mean, hopefully there were moments, but in the, you know, in the great scheme, probably many more moments of being lost in thought, distracted, caught up in reactive patterns, hoping for the right words tonight or whatever the mind was lost in. So it is appropriate to realize this predicament that we're in. And so often we say we're not here to just follow our hearts, the conditioning of our mind and heart, because upon reflection, we see that a lot of the conditioning isn't trustworthy. You know, how my mind is conditioned to fill up the space of the day, of the hour, of the moment, to think, you know, upon reflection, to think, so the mind thought that was important. You know, how many times, I just saw this somewhere, maybe recently in the New York Times. I think, they, I think it said, uh, if I remember correctly, that people check their phones 38 times a day if you're of a certain age or older. And then if you're a younger adult, I forget what the cutoff is, it's like 80 some times a day. Right? So if we're awake for 18 hours, probably a little bit less, 16 hours. So you can, you know, it's like often. 
And it's not just the cell phones we're checking, we're checking our own mind, but not in the sense of being aware of it, but just getting lost, looking for something to be lost. And we have gotten lost so often, it's where we feel comfortable. What can I get lost in? This is one of the real valuable insights on retreat is to detect, to recognize that habit without judging it, to want to be lost, to want something, some story, some problem, some hope, some fantasy to absorb into, which of course just uh, reinforces an aversion to being present, makes it harder to return because we've acted, we were cutting this groove that being present isn't to be trusted. It, It just isn't interesting enough, just isn't valuable enough. And so that's why we come here, because we suspect it is important enough, it is valuable enough. And we also probably even more strongly recognize that running from the present moment is dangerous. We lose our, we quite literally lose our life. When we miss the present moment, we miss our life. Maya Angelou has a statement that it's really poignant, but I think points to the same point that I've been making. She wrote, history, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. And for me, this is a real motivation not to have to repeat the past, and not just my own past, but we're also learning from looking at everybody else's past and our collective past. And really we can sense, you know, when we read the news, when we gaze out at our families, our communities, the world, the wider world, <clears throat> we can, can't we, can't we sense how the past is being repeated? Ignorant, ignorance begets ignorance. Greed begets greed, hatred begets hatred. We see it, the divisiveness, the fear, what that sets in motion. And so as the Buddha says, when, <clears throat> whenever we have some authentic sense of our predicament, always doing what we've always done, always getting what we've always gotten, habits begetting habits, when we sense that, the heart tends to do one of two things, complain, close down, lament, pretend it ain't so, or undertake some kind of search. Does anybody know what to do about this life, right? Which again is why we're here. Maybe you asked that question several decades ago and and your practice is and continuing sense, or maybe you're just at the very beginning of asking that question, is there another way than following the habits of the mind? Assuming the conditioned mind, the thinking mind, knows the way to release, to happiness.
So tonight I'm, I really want to talk in general terms about the path. And then in the days ahead, Deborah and Kamala will map out in more detail this path of awakening and then uh, <clears throat> even going into more detail about how mindfulness works in the mind and how with mindfulness we basically open to this world of causes and conditions. We start to see in very specific moment-to-moment ways how the mind gets all bound up, gets heavy, gets tight, and how the release of that tightness happens, how that's a natural, lawful, conditional process that can be observed. And when observed, the mind just becomes wiser negotiating this world of karma, of cause and effect. We just learn how this personality who has relations with the world in so many different ways, how to navigate the space of being a human being. In Buddhism, we're always interested in these causes, how things arise, how they cease. This is one of the great lines from a teacher that's been quite influential, I think, to all of us here on stage and many people in the wider community, Saida Utejaniya, this wonderful Burmese teacher and Buddhist monk. And one of the things he says uh, regularly is that wisdom is always interested in causes. Right? That's how you know that wisdom is, in, uh, is <clears throat> operating in our mind is wisdom is always interested in how things are coming to be, how the wholesome qualities come to be, how the unwholesome qualities are coming to be, how unwholesome qualities are weakened and allowed to cease, how wholesome qualities sometimes are allowed to weaken and cease, how it works. That's what wisdom does, it understands that what this is, is a conditional unfolding. And we basically learn to read it. And of course, to begin this work, we have to, we have to put aside our duties and responsibilities in a big way. That happened yesterday, just getting ourselves here. And then It's not enough to have gotten ourselves here. I'm sure you figured this out today, even if it's your first retreat, because even though you may be here physically, the mind can travel, (laughs) right? So we can be right in the middle of our problems and our hopes, and we can be thousands of miles away, even though we may be walking slowly back and forth in the walking hall, or we may be sitting in an upright, relaxed and serene way that our mind might not be here, right? We might be lost in thought. This is how, you know, when we're honest, this is how we characterize much of our life, lost in thought. So it happens here as well. Until that little drama, self-centered drama gets popped, awareness arises because of its momentum and the mind, 
the wisdom of the mind understands that's just thinking being known. It's just this experience of thought, this charge, if there's an emotional charge to it being known, and it falls away. And in that moment, we can reassert this deep value that we are here on retreat, here in the walking, here in the sitting practice, here in our yogi job or eating a meal or brushing our teeth. We're here on retreat not to be lost in thought. We want to remember that. It's not that those thoughts are necessarily or always unwholesome. They might be really pleasant thoughts, remembering how much you love a family member or wishing well even to yourself. Or There are many ways we feel justified in thinking and then eventually getting lost in the thought. But we're interested in um, resolving that we use our time in another way. And to keep it simple, that other way, I mean, we call it mindful awareness, but it's, as Kamala mentioned this morning, even more simple, this is being known. There's really nothing beyond that, this is being known. However rich and intricate our life appears, complicated our life appears, confusing our life appears, really it comes down to this experience of the mind and body is being known. This object of experience, this activity of the mind, this activity of the body is being known. And the two things arise together, some experience, some object of experience, is being known. And this is a, a step that we, we have to have a lot of respect for how different this is to come to this place, this is being known. So we want to start over when we are lost in thought and then we realize we've been lost in thought we don't want to rush back. We want to find that resonant value that just thinking my way through the practice or thinking my way through the retreat, that's doing what I've always done, getting what I've always gotten. You know, different variations of thinking I'm doing great, thinking I'm not doing great, thinking that someone's doing better than me, wondering why I can't get it, and it's very easy, as the four of us can attest to, it is easy to spend hours each day sort of thinking in that way. So when we have that natural moment of having been lost in thought or in some transition and mindfulness naturally reappears because it has some momentum and there's some sense of oh, it's like this now, then we really want to value, we want to appreciate that moment, how unusual it is, how counter the force of habit that is. We want to honor it as an important guest in the mind. Really, in the, the way we plant seeds to be more mindful is to recognize when mindfulness arises. And to see it as like an alternate reality, 
you know, one reality is being lost in thought and the other reality we call mindful awareness. Recognizing, remember to recognize this is being known. Oh, it's this experience of the mind or this experience of the body being known. It's just this being known. Even if we feel completely overwhelmed, so there's a very strong emotional feeling, very unpleasant emotional feeling, that feeling is being known. Or if there's a lot of not liking of it, this not liking is being known. There's this uh, series of similes the Buddha used to talk about the path that I find really helpful. And um, the first, they're all in one talk that the Buddha gave. The first simile, he describes a hen, a chicken. And uh, maybe I'll read. So the hen is sitting there looking at the eggs. Oh, that my chicks might break through the eggshells with their spike claws or beaks and hatch out safely. Still, it is not possible that the chicks will break through the eggshells with their spike claws or beaks and hatch out safely. Why is that? Because the hen has not covered them rightly, warmed them rightly, incubated them rightly. In the same way, even though this wish may occur to one who dwells without devoting oneself to development, So this is bhavana that Kamala mentioned and we'll probably talk about later in the retreat, the development of this practice of awareness. So this first simile, the Buddha is saying that there are causes for the deepening of understanding, for more calm, for more insight, more freedom, more of a understanding and taste of that sure heart's release. There are causes for that. And one of the causes, or wanting calm, or wanting the sure heart's release, wanting to be a good meditator, or that's not the cause, right? And this is, you know, this is what uh, Sadhu Utejaniya meant by wisdom is interested in causes. Well, what is the cause for? a greater stability of awareness, greater continuity of awareness. What is the cause for the mind having insight, seeing more clearly what it hasn't seen clearly yet? So when the mind is in a fit and upset or agitated, or the mind is really steady and clear and understanding seems to be deepening, then let wisdom do its job. It's going to understand, oh, these are the supporting causes. This is why the practice is unfolding. In the same way when things appear in the body and mind to be a mess, agitated, difficult, to understand what is the mind, how is the mind relating? What is the mind doing that might be supporting the difficulty, the agitation, cause for its reinforcement. What is it doing? What can it be doing that might weaken, undermine the agitation, liberate the heart to some degree? The next simile in this discourse, the 
Buddha gives the image of an axe handle or a hammer handle. And uh, he talks about even though a carpenter, you know, might notice over the years of use that there's impressions where the fingers have pressed in to the handle over the years, there's probably no way that the carpenter could see the net effect of one day's use of the axe handle or the hammer handle, right? But after 30 years of continuous use, hard use, day in, day out, that person, that carpenter would know without a doubt that the handle has been worn through. It's like ready to break, worn out. And this is another image because one of the things that draws us back into our story, like how am I doing with my practice? You know, that comparing mind. Am I making progress relative to the other people on retreat? Am I meeting my expectations that I had before coming on the retreat? Is this retreat as good as my previous retreat? Will I impress my friends when I go home with my clarity and calm and wisdom? So it's like we're checking the handle after the sit, after, you know, and all that does is agitate the mind, right? It, it increases the habit of speculation, of wondering, of comparing, of judging. And then the last simile that the Buddha uses is uh, he talks about a ship that gets pulled out of the water for the winter or the monsoon season and put up on dry dock, big ship, ocean-going ship with all its rigging and sails and such. And uh, that's sitting out in the wind, in the sunshine, in the rain, exposed to the elements, that all the sails and rigging ropes would begin to rot away. And this is his simile for how the practice works. It's similar to that passage from the Tao Te Ching I read earlier about how water, which as something that excels in yielding, right? Water knows how to yield to whatever, wherever you pour it. It, does, it just takes the shape of wherever it was poured in. And so in the same way, we're exposing the activities of the body and mind. We're exposing that to this steady, non-judging, this kind, clear, presence, right? This continuity of awareness, and it will have its effect. Not because we want it to work, because that is not the cause for it to work. Not because we check if it's working, right? It works because that is in the nature, right? The nature of this stable, clear, kind awareness is to see things as they are. What the Buddha did that we all benefit from is he realized through studying his own mind that the causes for suffering, for being tight, for stress, is that we misperceive what's going on. We don't see clearly and so we think and act according to 
what we think is true or what we think is happening instead of what is true, what is happening. So if that's in fact the case, that all stress and suffering is due to misperceiving the way it is, you see, it's pretty obvious then what the cure to that problem is. To train the mind by developing the stability of awareness to see things as they are. And all of us, we have some confidence that that will actually work, right? Because that's why we're here. Or you've tried absolutely everything else and this is the only thing left. (laughs) You know, I've tried this, I've tried that. So I'm gonna try this thing that doesn't sound helpful to me right now, but you know, mindful awareness, just opening and observing the causes and conditions as they unfold. And like Kamala mentioned this morning, to really emphasize the is being known. So there are objects, of course, experiences that in a sense the mind is knowing, observing, witnessing, opening to, but we're keeping in mind, keeping front and center that these experiences of the mind and body are being known. And Kamala mentioned the phrase resting in awareness, trusting that the awareness can know. The awareness is already here, but we often fail to recognize that awareness is here, capable of knowing, capable of opening, capable, capable of seeing clearly that objects come and go. They don't really provide much ground. They express nature, right? They come and go due to causes, many, many causes, mostly that we can't read. I mean, sometimes we have a sense why something might be arising in the body or some thought might be arising in the mind, but we sense that there are many causes. We may sense some of them, but they're innumerable causes. And clearly what unfolds in our body and mind, what unfolds around us, we don't control. It's not really personal in the way that we conventionally think. Even, I mean, it's so surprising to see, especially on retreat, the thoughts coming and going. It becomes so clear that Nobody is making these thoughts happen. They're just, it's like a river of mental activity, a river of thought flowing onward due to who knows how many causes and conditions, culture, place of upbringing, all of the different conditioning forces. So to, just to review, the first two steps of the path And this is something we're gonna reignite, begin again with over and over every day, even within one set. This first is just this more gross renunciation. I'm not here to solve my problems right now. I'm not here to remember things or to judge things, but I'm not here to get rid of those things either. I'm here to do this one very particular thing, to realize, to remember, to recognize this is being known. Whether it's a mental activity, so if the mind is reminiscing, 
reminiscing is being known. For if the mind is complaining about the pain in the knee, complaining is being known. Or if you're feeling the breath coming in, sensations are being known. Sensations of breathing in are being known. If you really like those sensations, liking is being known. And so this uh, first step that I wanted to emphasize is a willingness to begin again, many, many, many times each day, even each set, with a sense of appreciation like, I'm really gonna check this out. And some of you have a lot of faith, so it's more than just your willingness to check it out. You have direct experience of the value of deepening this continuity of awareness, of putting in, sort of finding that persistence, that willingness to begin again. And that inspires us to use the tools that we've been taught and that we'll be teaching you this retreat in the instructions at the uh, 8.15 sit, but during the talks in the small groups and one-on-ones later in the retreat. You know, all the different ways to start over and how to recognize how we take the path back into reactivity, judging our practice, getting caught up in our liking and not liking. And so one of the techniques is to, once we remember the value of putting down, renouncing the need to think about things and to be interested in this, you know, this remembering, oh yeah, this is being known, is to pick up a, a training ground. Whole body awareness is a, a nice way to begin again, to just feel the whole body. Oh yeah, whole body awareness is being known. Sensations in the whole body are being known. There are a lot of benefits to cultivating whole body awareness because it really supports us in our daily activities besides the formal sitting, formal walking times. But as you're doing your yogi job, as you're eating, as you're you know, doing your activities in your room, this whole body is being known. Sensations are being known. And if you need even a more substantial anchor, then you might notice that while you're breathing in, whole body is being known. While you're breathing out, whole body is being known. And you don't have to sort of be the enforcer and, and keep that as your predominant experience. It's really a way, once you remember the value that you have in being awake and being mindfully aware, Right, so that's the turning point. You've been lost in thought, mindfulness reemerges, and you appreciate this value of being present. Right? Because you care, because you realize the danger of just letting the mind do what it's always done, think its way through life, getting the same results that it's always gotten, a headache, you know, entanglements, a heavy heart, It always seems refreshing when we start to think, but it isn't long before we get into a mess. Isn't that true? It's like the first few moments of me thinking about renovating my house or buying a cabin in the north woods of Minnesota or, you know, something like that. It's delightful. But just 30 seconds, two minutes in to the obsession, 
and it's already like a burden. Oh, who's going to maintain that place? And if my friends find out I have it, then I have to share it with them, but then I'm going to have to tell them what, how I want them to take care of it, and they have different, you know, I don't want ants, and I don't want rodents, so I really want them to clean it up. I mean, it's like all these details just start flowing in. And we can go from having been in a really expanded or peaceful state to being tied up in a knot in no time. So we come to, we realize the danger of just letting the mind do what it always does. We feel, sense that value of being present. And then offer the mind a training ground, a technique like well, you can breathe in and feel the whole body and know sensations are being known. Whole body being known. Breathing in, being known. Or you can do that with hearing. Oh yeah, hearing is being known. So it's nice, like one of the things we do, especially at the beginning of a sitting period, is we might work with some of these training objects or these anchors for the practice Sometimes we do that with the attitude of love, just having, just cultivating a friendly attitude and feeling that friendliness, that generosity of the heart, that sort of radiant sense of I care as we breathe in and as we breathe out. So that we have ways of reestablishing the continuity of present moment awareness, using hearing, using whole body awareness, using the breath, or many other techniques or anchors. And it's a way of deepening that value we have for present moment awareness. Like, I know it's a value because I'm persisting in this breathing in, aware of the whole body. Whole body is being known. Sensations of the whole body are being known. It's like this now. Can this be okay? Just this experience of sensation being known. And then if we notice other objects, once we have some continuity, then it sort of, the whole practice shifts where we could say we're in this world of understanding karma, where we understand how the mind can get led into unskillful ways of relating. How judgment, how doubt, how complacency, how controlling energies can creep in to the awareness, right? Things get tight. When things get tight, it triggers more habit energy to react, to control, to disconnect which generally causes things to get tighter, which trigger even more reactive patterns to arise, seductive patterns that causes the mind to take the path towards distraction again, getting in some obsessive drama, worrying about something, planning something, comparing, fantasizing. But that's okay. There's nothing, once we're lost in thought, there's nothing we can do until the mind recognizes it. Oh. And instead of feeling badly in that moment or frustrated that we've been lost in thought, 
That's the moment to appreciate this value of being present. As if we were to say something like, I am so appreciative that there is an awareness that knows it's like this now. Because now there's a choice. You know how when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've been dreaming, that strong pull to go back to sleep to keep the dream up? It's a little bit like that when we've been in some obsessive pattern, you know, and then there's a moment where we, the mind resurfaces, awareness is there, and we can feel the tug. And that's where we need the counterweight of this new value, this value in mindful awareness. That's why we're here. We can think later. Right now we're here, and again, we, we need to be able to remind ourselves what mindful awareness is. It's remembering to recognize this is being known. This experience of the mind and body, this emotional charge, this activity, this experience is something being known. But the emphasis on is something being known. More than the object, it's interesting that it's pleasant object or an unpleasant object, an object of the mind or an object of the body, but more important, more relevant, is that it's something being known in the present moment, that awareness is knowing this. And how awareness is always there to meet the object that's being known. They always come together, the object that's being known. And the more we're, we have that continuity of awareness, then we, just like I mentioned, this whole new world of seeing what's skillful and unskillful and really starting to comprehend how we get caught up in obsessive thoughts, how we get caught up in reactive patterns and how we, the mind experiences freedom, how the mind releases the tightness of those patterns. Because clearly that, that has happened. I mean, think about it, even just today. How many times today, just today, did our mind fall into some reactive pattern, got tight, got heavy, got clouded? Many times, right? And all of those bubbles, or whatever you want to call them, every single one ceased, right? Or are they all there right now? You can only have one obsessive drama at a time. So before the new one can come, the other one has to cease. And it's very interesting to, to get curious. And so when there's continuity of awareness, there's more stability, we catch more often the cessation of these dramas, these bubbles, these attachments, the mind being identified with the tightness, with the liking, the not liking, identified with the content of the thoughts, and then that ceases. And then there's that space of awareness that is aware of whatever object is arising and being known, right? And there's some continuity of awareness. And then in that, with that continuity of awareness, we, the mind recognizes, the wisdom in the mind recognizes what supports that. What keeps it strong? Builds the momentum, builds the stability, right? And then we really, the mind, the wisdom in the mind begins to recognize calm, begins to recognize ease, joy and ease and contentedness, 
stillness and peace, the sort of maturing of that stability of mind. When we do get moments where there's some momentum in the continuity awareness, then we want to notice the beautiful qualities, the wholesome qualities that gather when there's a continuity of mindful awareness. Oh, this is lawful. It's not about wanting there to be stability of awareness, right? It is an, the, the stability, the continuity of awareness is a natural arising. It's really a thing of beauty to be appreciated without attachment, knowing that it's, it arose conditionally when the causes, the supporting causes are there, things settle down. The mind is clear, it's kind, it's interested in causes, it's not trying to control things, it's, trying, it's not trying to make the practice happen. There's a real sense of relaxation, even in moments a sense of it happening on its own, not me doing the awareness, but objects arising, awareness arising together. Uh, this is being known, really seeing that not as something I'm doing, but rather as something that's happening, really the expression of nature. Objects are being known. It's just a question of whether the mind is recognizing that objects are being known. And then this, of course, sets in motion a deeper, uh, what Kamala called this morning, the process of insight. Just naturally the mind sees the underlying nature. It's like, I remember a talk Deborah gave a number of years ago where she talked about this place where there is some stability of awareness, that the wisdom is just collecting data, just collecting data. And basically the data is around how natural it is that objects arise and are known. Objects arise, an object arises and is being and is known over and over again. And in seeing that and understanding that, it sees the changing nature, the insubstantial nature, that none of these experiences provide ground, provide any reason to be attached, to hold, because they come and then they go. And that coming and going is a very natural and impersonal process. And this collecting this kind of data just sets in motion a very natural, gradual process of insight where the way the mind relates to sense experience, you know, there's just a greater non-involvement with sense experience. The food is delicious, but it's just delicious food, just delicious tastes being known, right? The beautiful sunset. The mind is not as dependent on getting the pleasant and getting rid of the unpleasant still definitely knows the difference between pleasant and unpleasant, cold and hot, pain and pleasure. But it's less and less involved, less and less dependent, less and less pushed around by the pleasant and unpleasant of sense experience. So one of the, you know, gradual insights or expression of insight is just Uh, the mind less involved, less dependent 
on sense experience, more equanimous with sense experience, the pleasantness and unpleasantness. I'm sure some of you who've been practicing for a while have seen this gradually, slowly arise in your lives. Wow, this is different than it was 10 years ago. Remember, not like after one set, but maybe after 10 years of steady practice, five years or more of steady practice. Oh, this is different. 10 years ago, this would have really pushed me around. Now this pleasant or this difficult experience, the mind is just much, much more relaxed, just doing what it needs to do with it. And then the insight deepens, you know, and the Buddha talks about a greater dispassion for the projections of our mind, you know, the perceptions and the whatever our mind, you know, the thinking mind. We can, we can scare ourselves. I'm sure you've noticed we can seduce ourselves with thoughts all the time. But one of the effects of this path of practice is my mind, I'm sure some of you notice this too, our minds, they do project scary visions, scary thoughts, beautiful, sublime thoughts, but the mind is less spellbound by the projections, right? Because we know it's just a thought, it's just a hope, it's just a fear, and it's like this now, this is being known, it's just this. And so we call that having greater dispassion for the projections of our mind in the same way that our relationship to the pleasantness and unpleasantness of sense experience gradually, very slowly changes, more equanimity. Same, very slowly our relationship to our own mental projections, even the idea of awakening, which, you know, I remember, It was a little bit hard to be around me when I (laughs) found this practice because it was like, I wanted out. I wanted the gold, right? But those, whatever, however my mind was projecting that spiritual ideal, like of being free or whatever it was that my mind was projecting, that seemed important. But now that projection seems like a thought being known much more than it used to be. And more importantly, for me at least, the thought that I took a wrong turn. I'm not doing the practice right. Should I be teaching? (laughs) Those thoughts used to be really painful, right? Because those projections. But now my mind is used to noticing, oh, that's just a thought being known. And then it looks like, well, if I can do my job better, do your job better but I don't have to be confused by the thought or feel like I have to answer the questions my thinking mind projects. And the process of insight just continues in more subtle ways where this, you know, going back to the image the Buddha used of the rotting sails and the rotting rigging, you know, the more we put in our time, come on retreat, do our daily sit, practice awareness and daily life activities. It's like the weather, the sunshine, the wind, the rain, and all of the habits of reacting, being tight, being lost in thought, 
being frightened by our own projections, mental projections, being entranced and seduced by the projections of our mind, pushed around by our projections, it just sort of wears down. And what comes up through the cracks, through the little insights, is a a very, I mean, very gradually, but a, a very distinct, powerful, intuitive sense that it's okay. The world appears to be really messy and is really messy. There is real suffering on this conventional level. There is real suffering in our lives, around us. There are real problems that we have as human beings as we learn how to take better care of each other. And it's okay to relax. It's okay to open. It's okay to be unafraid. It's okay to love. It's okay to be free, even though the world is a mess. And that's the insight that creeps in gradually, slowly, because of this devotion to this mindful awareness, to the continuity of awareness, present moment awareness. The Buddha says that it creeps in, it happens in the same way that a river will naturally incline toward the ocean, that when we follow the natural causes we cultivate this continuity of awareness that the heart unavoidably can't be stopped, inclines towards Nibbana, towards this great release, the sure heart's release. So let's just sit together for a few seconds, let go of the words. listening. So we have time for walking practice now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.